Hi, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the science of health, human performance, and ultimate potential. My name is Dr. Greg Wells, and I'm a scientist with a PhD in human physiology. I have served as a professor in kinesiology at the University of Toronto and as a scientist in translational medicine at SickKids Hospital. I've also worked with dozens of Olympic-level athletes through the Canadian Sports Centre Network. In this podcast, I do my best to take complex research and make it understandable and actionable for you to improve your health and well-being and perform to your true potential at whatever it is that you care about the most. In each show, I chat with leading experts in the field of productivity, sleep, nutrition, physiology, and psychology, as well as some of the most exceptional performers across all disciplines. Together, we explore the amplifiers that propel us towards high performance and overcome the obstacles that challenge us. Ultimately, I want to share 1% gains that can make a massive difference in your life. Thank you for listening in, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Let me know your thoughts and comments on social at Dr. Greg Wells. All right, let's dive in. This week, we have Dr. Joe Baker join us. Professor Joe is a leading expert in the field of human development and sports skill development. He currently holds a position in the School of Kinesiology and Health Science at York University. Throughout his career, Professor Baker has dedicated his research to understanding how individuals can reach and maintain the highest level of performance in various different sports. His work considers a wide range of psychosocial and environmental factors that influence athletic skill development, with the goal of cataloging the numerous factors that affect an athlete's ability to maximize their potential. This research aims to inform the development of stronger policies, the building of better theories and models, and the construction of superior learning environments. Professor Baker's research primarily focuses on two main areas. The first area examines the diverse factors that influence athlete skill development. He's currently studying the development and maintenance of skilled performance in both able-bodied and Paralympic sports, working with leading athlete development systems worldwide to advance our understanding of how individuals reach and maintain high levels of performance. The second area of focus, and actually where we dig in on this podcast, is our notion of talent. Despite its prominence in public discourse, there's a profound lack of understanding of what the term talent means and how it affects programming in sports. And we can all take this into whatever world we are engaged with. Talent is important everywhere. Professor Baker's research in this area concentrates on improving decisions made in talent identification and selection, working with leaders in high performance and professional sport to understand the efficiency and effectiveness of various approaches and models to talent evaluation and development. In addition to his work in high-performance sport, Professor Baker also applies models of athlete learning and development to understand how to maximize function and performance in non-elite populations like me. Specifically, he has examined how masters athletes, those over 50 years of age, can inform a deeper understanding of what older adults are capable of of achieving in terms of performance. Joe is a specialist. He's an expert. We dig into talent in this episode, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this. All right, no further delays. Please enjoy my conversation with Professor Joe Baker. Joe, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to catching up. 
Really excited to talk to you today. I know that you've been busy. The lab is doing very well. I was wondering if you could give us an update on your research. Tell us a little bit uh, about your field and how you're doing these days. Yeah, so um, I guess, you know, like you said, the lab is doing great at the moment. And I think it's because we sort of stumbled on this idea of talent. And it wasn't really, a, that wasn't my area of focus uh, 10 years ago. It was quality of training environment, practice, you know, athlete pathways, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the more we tried to apply that work in the high performance space, the more we came up against this brick wall that is talent and talent identification. So we thought, well, we're going to, we're going to go through this uh, instead of going around it. And um, it's been a game changer because everybody wants to talk about talent. Nobody really has a good understanding of what it is, researchers included. And um, it's just, yeah, it's just one of these questions that kind of keeps you up at night. What is talent? Uh, you know, are we doing a good thing or a bad thing with our kids when we think we see talent? All that kind of stuff is just so interesting from a you know motivation standpoint and when you solve motivation you know the rest of the stuff kind of falls in place joe i've been thinking about talent a lot i've got two children eight and twelve uh, i think they've got some athletic talent probably because they're related to their mom because uh, she's an unbelievably good athlete and i know that one of the biggest issues in the workplace right now is talent because of the great reimagination of work that's happening and the war for talent. So let's begin with the idea of what is talent from your perspective? I'd love to know what you think of this. And I know that your lab is doing a lot of research on talent identification. So beginning with definition is probably the right way to go. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a great place to start, and it's amazing that we don't have a clear uh, definition of what that is. Uh, so we started with talking to coaches and asking them, you know, when you think you see talent, what do you see? And it was amazing that our first sort of uh, dipping the toe in the water in this area was finding out that nobody really has a cohesive definition of what talent is. And so from a measurement standpoint, that's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so we make a real distinction between talent as a scientific uh, in a research concept, which is just the idea that there are differences between people that are going to affect their likelihood of a success in an area and how coaches use it, which is much more pragmatic, which is much more practical. What do I look for when I need to make a selection decision about 20 athletes and I only have 10 spots? Different question, but that difference is actually really important. So in our research, we say talent is a real thing. It's uh, the differences between people. The differences exist. Not everybody has equal potential. Mm -hmm. Coaches, you should probably not look for talent because you don't know what you're looking for. And the, the things that you're looking for are probably not as relevant as you think. And so you're probably doing more harm than good when you, when you try to identify talent. Is that what you mean by the tyranny of talent, that it's almost a distraction or perhaps it's leading you down the wrong path and you're measuring the wrong things that don't actually predict performance in the future? I would love for you to uh, dig into that a little bit more because that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So the, um, the way that sport and you, you know, you said you have kids, so you know this, the way that sport is structured is to try to stream them into the right sport as early as possible. Mm -hmm. Really tough to find out what the right sport is, unless you've got a, uh, your kid's going to be seven feet tall, then, well, there's 
sport is highly variable. And the thing that makes sports so interesting is talent can show up in a number of different areas. It could show up in growth and maturation and physical things. It could show up in perception and anticipation and decision making. It could show up in behavior. It could be that, you know, your your child just wants to practice all the time. Well, if, if, if you've got a child like that, congratulations, because practice is the greatest variable that we have for predicting a person's long-term potential. Joe, can you expand upon practice a little bit more for us? Because that's controllable. The amount and the intensity of your practice, the focus of your practice, the deliberateness of your practice. And I love that that's a huge factor because that means that music, drama, sports, academic, academics, business, science, whatever it happens to be, that's the variable that is controllable, deliberate practice. And now I'm hearing from you that that's also one of the most important variables when it comes to predicting future performance outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that was where our research originally started. We were deliberate practice uh, researchers. And the thing that we've learned, and I talk about this quite a bit in the book, is that you can't separate somebody's interest in putting in, you know, let's use 10,000 hours, that overused sort of cliche. You can't separate somebody's interest in putting in 10,000 hours of slogging through monotonous, uh, you know, practice for 10 years um, from a talent, from a conscientiousness. There's certain people, and you know this as an endurance sport athlete, there's certain people that just love to gruel it out. And if you're wired that way, then you're going to have an advantage. It's not going to show up in something easy that a coach can see, but it'll show up in your behavior. And so we need to make this separation between behavior is nurture, behavior is uh, controllable versus talent is something else. No, you could be seeing talent just in the way people behave and certain types of behavior, certain patterns of behavior are going to be more related to long-term success as an athlete. So how do you approach talent these days? If you're looking for talented athletes, if you're looking for talent for your lab for grad students, uh, I'd love to hear about the relationship between, are we looking for physical talent? Are we looking for mental talent? Obviously that changes sports. It's maybe a bit more physical grads, Grad students, maybe it's a little bit more mental, but I'm also hearing that the mental side of the puzzle is extraordinarily important. Uh, so in of extraordinary importance, excuse me. So in addition to people's propensity to actually do the work, to do the training and have the discipline to follow through on that, what else are you looking for? Can we parse out the talent in areas that we're interested in so that anyone listening in whatever field that they're involved in, they could begin to do this talent ID a little bit better as well. For our research, and we talk to coaches and parents because everybody wants to know, do, how do I know if this athlete has it? And it's really tough to, to, to say, well, this is the characteristic that you look for. The one place that we start though is interest, drive, motivation, resilience, that sort of, you know, those softer psychological skills hmm. that, if the person doesn't have that, then it doesn't matter what their talent is. They're probably not going to stick around long enough when they get the option of leaving the sport. And so we want people that are going to start with that foundation of motivation and interest, persistence, drive. 
And parents can normally see that in their kids pretty quickly. Uh, if you've got to drag them to practice every day, then that's probably they're probably not motivated for that sport. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. you don't have to drag them once in a while because they're kids too. Yeah. But at the same time, like you want to see that switch uh, to intrinsic motive, to drive, to love of and love of competition, love of practice, because if you can get that part right, then a lot of the other stuff will take care of itself. But if you don't get that first part right, then you could work as hard as you want. You're not going to see it emerge. All right. That's super interesting. And how much of it, from your perspective, is cultivating talent versus discovering it? How much is innate? How much is trainable? Uh, Obviously, we're digging into the nurture versus environment versus genetics argument, but would love your take on that because obviously it's highly relevant right here. It's the billion dollar question, really. Um, I think what in our work, we try to move people away from this idea that it's there's going to be a one size fits all strategy that you could have as a coach that's going to apply to every athlete. Some athletes are going to be absolute superstars right from the first day that they show up. Some people are going to be slow burners that it's going to take five years for that talent to actually emerge. And so part of the art of coaching is figuring out you know, what do I need to do for every athlete under my care to provide them with an optimal environment and forget about the idea that you're going to see it early all the time. Uh, Most of the time, it's going to be something that develops uh, over extended periods in the right environments. And so what can you do as a coach to make sure you're providing that environment? That's the more important question that we try to shift people towards Mm -hmm. instead of talent ID. Let's focus on athlete or talent development. That's the key element for coaches. I love that explanation. And to summarize, perhaps we're getting away from identifying the talented individual and just creating an environment that enables all people to thrive. Just think about that. Like how powerful is that in a school, in a sports team, in an, in a workplace? And then over the long term, you'll find that by simple process of elimination, um, process of growth, shall we say, you will find the more talented ones because they will flourish in that environment that you have created that enables people to thrive. So we focus on environment and watch the talent emerge. Do I have that correct? Yeah. And it, again, it's, it makes the talent a much more complicated variable because it's not fixed. It emerges through uh, development. Um, It's dynamic over time. And one of the things that makes sports such a complicated area compared to music or education is that the way you are as a performer can change over time as well in a lot of sports especially decision-making sports you know the world cup was this weekend uh great example that what we see in early soccer players are high technical skill what we see in later soccer players is decision making creativity uh anticipation because everybody is technically gifted at that point so Technical skill isn't predictive anymore. Something else becomes predictive. And so it just highlights how complicated this process of athlete identification and talent development is for coaches. And I say this in the book and almost every presentation I give, it's the most complicated thing we ever ask a human to do is to look at an athlete on a pitch and say, I want you to predict what this person's going to be 10 years from now or 15 mm-hmm. years. We don't do that in education. We don't do that in any other domain, but we, we ask coaches to do that on a regular basis. 
Got it. So what environmental practices could we put into play that would enhance the chances for everyone in our programs to reach their potential, whatever that potential happens to be? Some will have higher potential, some will have different potential, different talent, if you will. So what environmental factors do you encourage people to put into place to optimize their opportunities, their growth, uh, and the growth for the people that they're trying to develop? I'd start with uh, recognizing basic uh, motivational needs that people have. Uh, Elite athletes are humans and humans have kind of basic needs. They need to feel competence. They need to be, they feel social connection and they need to have a degree of autonomy in their behavioral choices. If we can get those things right in every environment, they won't always be interested in competence. Sometimes they'll be there for social reasons. Sometimes they'll be there for... Uh, I want to do something different from what my parents want me to do. Like, if we focus on those basic needs, then we're going to create an environment that at least keeps the person coming back the next time. More times we can get them coming back, the more likely they're going to increase their confidence. And that's probably going to drive long-term behavior. Joe, if you wanted to look ahead five years from now and your research has had an impact in the world with regards to talent and how we perceive and manage and support and develop talent, what would you like to see as, wow, we've had an impact? Like, how has the world changed when it comes to developing talented individuals, regardless of field, in the future? Uh, the, the thing that I would love to see is that we don't even use the word talent anymore. Talent is a scientific thing that researchers can use when they build models of human development and why some people succeed and other people don't. I think it's got very little utility for people at on the ground actually working with athletes. Uh, I would mm-hmm. rather they see, instead of a talent identification exercise, it's an athlete identification exercise. And when you just make that simple word shift, an athlete is a person. It's not a thing to be developed. An athlete's a person, a complicated, dynamic, evolving system. And if you thought about coaching and even human development in any domain from a person-centered perspective, you would think, well, what does this person need? Not mm-hmm. how do I identify this talent in a relatively fixed way, but what do I do with this person now? I want They don't have the leadership skills that I want. Well, I give them a leadership intervention, uh, or they're not as resilient as I would like. Well, I think about how I design resiliency uh, within them. Just shifting that, um, that target of, you know, what do we want coaches to do? We want them to actually be facilitators of learning environments, not selectors of some fixed capacity and making long-term predictions. It's what do you need to do today to make this person better tomorrow? And isn't that an interesting approach in that it's not necessarily looking at how quickly can I turn this person into the best possible hockey player to score the most possible goals, to make sure that they're the on the best possible team the next season. It's more like, what does this human athlete need in order to truly maximize their potential as an athlete, musician, scientist, so that they can reach their absolute potential in their lives? That is a new perhaps revolutionary in some environments approach, I think, for the, and definitely a, a bit of a, an awakening in terms of how we approach talent development in a lot of sports. Well, and one of the things that we're trying to do at the moment, and I think it's, it's actually going to be quite useful and valuable for us if we, can, if we can do this, is to calculate 
how many people are needed in a system to produce that one elite performer at the end? Because we oftentimes we focus on what is that elite performer need and we undervalue well that elite performer needs 10,000 other people to support their development mm-hmm. to play against them. They need to be almost as good, but not better. Like for every one person who emerges at the end, how many people are necessary at different levels of the system in different roles to support that one person? And if we could figure out what that number is, we'd have a much better, more holistic understanding of that development system instead of focusing on the individual, focusing on the development, which I think would be a much healthier way of thinking about high-performance sport. Because as you know, high-performance sport doesn't just serve the person at the end of the system. It serves all of the people that came through that system as well. And so we undervalue their role, I think. Uh, So when they get deselected or when their careers end, they think, why did I do that? Well, you did that because of everything else you got from your participation in sport. And we need you in there to develop those elite performers. Um, for me, I think that would be a really cool way of framing this uh, this problem. It's interesting when you say that. Uh, I grew up as a competitive swimmer. I coached in swimming and spent a lot of time in that sport. We know that, that there are, let's call it around 30 people on the Olympic team, but there's approximately 30 to 50,000 competitive swimmers in Canada. In the United States, it's 10x that for the same size Olympic team. So in the States, like 300,000 people for those 30 spots. So actually, there are anywhere from, you know, 10 to 100,000 people, 10,000 to 100,000 people in the system to get one person on that Olympic team running the numbers, it's similar sort of statistics in golf or in hockey or whatever, basketball, and it's all quite similar. When in fact, the potential benefits to our mindset, to our health set, our resiliency, our mental skills that can be applied throughout the rest of our lives from what we can do to help those 100,000 people is in fact, and I'm sure you would agree with me, where we really need to be focusing our attention. Yes, of course, we want to put 30 people on the Olympic team, but it's the 30,000, 50,000, 100,000, 500,000 people that are just doing the sport and can learn and can grow and can develop all sorts of skills. And that is what will ultimately enable talent to rise. Hope that I'm saying that the right way. Yeah, and I think there's uh, there's often a tendency to split the high performance system from the participation system as if they're they're arguing for different ends or they're achieving different social goods. Yeah. I think they're the, they're the same system. We just need to mm-hmm. reframe the way that we're talking about high performance. As high performance isn't just relevant to the number of medals we win uh, at the Olympic Games. There's you know in addition to the ten thousand athletes, there's parents and coaches and officials and administrators and ministers of sport. Like there's so many people that are involved in making that system a success, but we give the, you know, the, the, um, the accomplishment to that one person who ends up with a medal around their neck. Uh, you know, we, yeah, we want to, we want to recognize that super achiever for sure, but let's not undervalue how relevant those, the rest of those people are. Yeah. And this mindset enables us to focus on helping everybody right from the early, you know, learn to do whatever sport it is all the way through to the Olympics or the professional ranks. We can support everybody along the entire pathway. I actually think that is healthy, high performance sport. And that 
pathway, that approach applies and can and hopefully should apply to music, to dance, to academics, to business development. It enables us to get away from performance at all costs to healthy high performance where we can help everyone to be healthy, everybody, and everyone to reach their potential. And we've now, it is emerging. We've seen the damage that has been done in so many different sports uh, when we deviate from healthy high performance to go after performance at all costs, even at the cost of health of the athlete. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing the recognition of that now in the system with the changes and the uh, safe yeah. sport and the um, the funding that's coming down for athlete mental health. We're, we're starting to turn that ship around, but if we reframe the problem a little bit, then we could maybe solve a few other big social problems like why don't people participate in sport like they used to 20 years ago? Um, you know, can we change the way that we're messaging when we have success at the World Cup or in the Olympics or whatever, so that everybody feels motivated and part of that part of that success instead of it being that person I read about? Imagine if we could reframe it in terms of I play swimming, I play tennis, and not just you know I I I do football or I you know like it's play. Imagine if we could use that and have fun and experience joy and learn and grow while developing skills at the same time. Yeah. And I think that's like, for me, that comes back to the basic social needs. Uh, and if you look at countries that, that have made that, that transition to a larger message uh, and they've made that transition well, countries like Norway, it's sport is something that you did as a social group. It's something that the neighborhood does. It's a neighborhood sports club that everybody comes and they play soccer mm -hmm. in the summer and they ski in the winter or whatever. But it's just you go there for social reasons. You don't go there because you want to make the Olympics uh, or to increase your, your personal best. You go there because it's fun. You go there because yeah. you want to hang out with these people. That's a basic social need. And so I think in North America, we kind of forget um, not all sports, but some sports, we kind of emphasize the performance instead of emphasizing the behavior and the participation. Joe, I love all of this. Thank you so much for your ideas. Just curious, what are you doing right now to develop your talent, your abilities, you as a human athlete? What are you thinking about for yourself these days? Yeah, it's, um, it's a tough one because I'm getting older and it's a really interesting motivational question because as a, someone who was a, you know, a, a decent performer in my youth, uh, I find it hard to stay motivated when I see performance continually decreasing. You don't see your PBs going down anymore. Now all you see is them going up. And so it's been a tough shift uh, for me to kind of change the 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 purpose of that isn't to to set a personal best in your you know half marathon or 5k or whatever it is it's to actually do it it's to go out right. and to do these things and and make the travel to the event the, the purpose of it as opposed to you know seeing how fast can you actually get because i think you know and maybe i'm wrong but i, I don't know i think those days are those days are over <laughs> Right. You may need to find a new sport where you can go personal bests again, do a little pivot. Yeah, we're just going to step laterally for the rest of our lives and keep trying new things. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us and to share your wisdom. Really appreciate it. If people want to learn a little bit more about your book, The Tyranny of Talent, where can they go to find more info? 
Yeah, it's uh, available on Amazon uh, at the moment, and I'm doing the audio, uh, the audible version over the holidays, so it'll be there uh, relatively soon if I can get that done. And uh, yeah, anybody with any feedback on the book, that's what I'm here for, and I'd love to to hear from anybody. Professor Joe, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. If you found this show informative and helpful, check out my blog at drgregwells.com for additional insights and resources on health and human performance. I update the blog a couple times a month. To stay up to date on the latest tips, articles, and videos, be sure to follow me on social at Dr. Greg Wells. My goal on social is to keep your health and wellness and positivity at the forefront of your mind, and so I would be thrilled to connect with you there. If you found this episode helpful, please consider subscribing to the podcast. That helps us out a ton and leave a review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated and helps me to continue to produce valuable content that's relevant to all of you. Please feel free to share this episode with your friends and community. That helps a ton as well. And that brings this week's show to an end. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Have a great week, everyone.